the following podcast is intended for adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The Iron Realm, Chapter 98, Foreign Tongues. It had been years. He had wandered alone in the Twilight Domain, having lost much of what he had once remembered in his psychic battle of wills against the Grumark. Even that had been long ago, and he had little sense anymore of what he had lost. Though he wandered on, somehow certain that there was some purpose to his wanderings, he explored the forests and the desert, the river and the mountains, the marshlands and the swamps, and the fields of grain. He never did see the Bremen again, but they he remembered, they who had betrayed him, they who had abandoned him to die amongst the desolation of a world that was never his. But Solus did not die. Indeed, he had grown stronger. He had grown a thick beard, and his muscles were greater than before, and the humidity shone from them, and his thighs, and his back. He had abandoned the last of his clothing long ago to the wild, and he was fully exposed to the wood. The heat did not bother him, and his thirst did not bother him, and his hunger slowed him not at all as he continued to push his way into the wood. It was in this state, wild and naked, that Solus appeared to Celeste at the ruins of the temple in the forest. She was the same supple white skin exposed, long blonde hair over breasts that were graceful yet defined, hips and legs, and the man was fully aroused at the sight of her, for she was lovely, and it had been so very long since he had known a woman. He throbbed for her absently as he watched from the edge of the clearing. She was like a wolf, intent, planting each foot purposefully as she went back and forth between the altar and the crumbling alcove that was there. She stared at him with brown eyes, alert as if she was an animal, recognizing that he was there, markedly aware of his arousal, of his heat, but saying nothing to him of it, and it surprised Solus somewhat that she was unafraid of him, and that she was not the least distracted by his presence, despite the way that his interest had been made so plain before her. In a moment, he noted that there was a fire at the altar, two of these, though both had now gone out, and it was smoldering. The woman had prepared a ritual of some kind, and the smoke in the air was sweet, 
and he began to feel just slightly strange as it came to him on the air, like having nothing under him, like the feeling of falling. He took three steps closer, and he noted that on the altar there was the red grain, and that the incense she had made there had been realized from it. He went yet a bit closer, and though Celeste watched him, she did not interfere, for he saw that she was at work within the alcove, and now he saw that there were people in there, or maybe they were creatures, and she was tending them with the smoke which she had made them breathe into their lungs. She wasn't uneasy with Solus, but neither did she seem to recognize him, and neither did he recognize her, but after a moment, as she squatted on the floor, and as she cradled the head of a surreal tusked warrior against her breast, there had been something else about Solus that had been familiar, and she began to look at him quizzically, and he began to do the same, seeing maybe more and then more, understanding at some level that she was his purpose, and he kept moving towards her, to the alcove, trying to understand, trying to recover some clue from his fragmented memory as she tried to, to do the same. The tusked warrior took a deep, sudden breath, catching fire from the smoke that he had taken in. The purple fire did not harm Celeste, but it burned the Tusked Warrior completely from the inside out, and he vanished into the air like burnt paper drifting on the breeze with the sound of his final exhalation. Celeste bowed her head and moved to the next being, a humanoid with the head of a cat, and she took him to her forcing the red smoke upon him, and he sounded as if he was in distress. And then Solus began to yell at her to stop, that what she was doing was wrong, and that she had to stop. Celeste began to speak, but her words were nonsense to Solus. He shook his head as she reached for the bowl, which she had dropped, and he pulled out his sword, ready to protect her against whatever spirit might be within the smoke, and told her to come away from the alcove. She didn't seem to understand, and she believed that he was leveling the sword at her, and Celeste became immediately furious with him. She let the bull go, and she reached for the spear instead, which she had concealed nearby, and she faced him, standing defiantly between Solus and the alcove. They argued with two tongues for a long time, both of their hearts beating, neither understanding how this could be happening, for although neither knew how to interpret the other, there was also a draw, a strong, an undeniable connection between them that couldn't be explained that stood in opposition to their seeming conflict. The dizziness in the air at last caught up with Solus, and he put his hand against his head, and he fell, striking it on a rock as he dropped the sword. Cautiously, Celeste went closer to him, crouching, approaching him, and laying down her spear. 
as the lines of anger faded from his face. Somehow she saw him then, and she ran to him. My beloved, my beloved, what have they done to you? The Iron Realm, copyright A.B. Lenzo, is the world's first play-by-podcast RPG campaign. The voice of Celeste in tonight's dramatization was drawn from audio originally created by and offered by Ashley Eddy through freesound.org under the Creative Commons Attribution License. Further information can be found at theironrealm.com or at theironrealm.blogspot.com under this episode's show notes. My sincere thanks as well to you, Ashley, for your masterful contribution to the Iron Realm cause. I, Josh Portola, lend my voice and my strength to the Iron Realm Podcast. Find me online on Twitter at Josh underscore Saitogami. That's S-A-I-T-O-G-A-M-I. You can also see me on the currently running web series, Danganronpa F, Shattered Hope on YouTube, and also the games Once More and Lionheart Paragon. Thank you very much, and have a great day. So the map you have of the Grumark's domain, coordinates 00, show only a portion of what Solus actually explored. For indeed, Solus took no chances, searching in every location possible in hopes of finding Celeste. So if you have an interest in completing your map, well, I'll give you the rest in the dialogue that follows, and then you too will have the most complete picture possible according to that knowledge gained by Solus as he wended his way through the Grumark's domain. So go ahead and grab your hex map and begin by locating the portal which we indicated last time. It is at position 2114, and let's begin by drawing a line of trees starting from the portal and extending as far as you can go to the southwest. You'll notice the first two trees have already been drawn, so keep on going southwest one tree at a time until you have drawn them all. Now if you've done this right, the final tree should be at position one, 24, and this of course will have given you a full line. Next, I'd like you to find the very northernmost point of the river, which is, as far as we know, at position 2311. And I want you to draw a line of trees starting here and going to the southeast all the way to the edge. You will notice again that the first two trees have been drawn for you, so go ahead and add the rest. 
now. And so your final tree should be at position 40 across, 19 down. Next, there is a mountain range that Solus explored to some degree as well. And in any hex where there is a mountain, use a symbol that looks like an upside down V. The first mountain is at position 20 across, one down, so draw it in. And there is also a mountain at 21 across, one down, so draw this in as well. Now if you draw a line southwest, place a mountain into each of those hexes, and we'll start to get the idea of the contour of this mountain range. Now on the northwest corner of the page, fill in every hex with a mountain that is to the northwest of the existing line of mountains that we have drawn. Go ahead, fill the whole thing in. The river, as it turns out, continues straight north from where it is, continuing all the way to hex 23 across, one down. Extend the river now through all those hexes to complete its course. I like to wiggle it a little bit as I draw in order to make it look a little more organic. I suspect that this river is actually coming down from the mountains. Although that is not shown on this particular map, there's a relatively open area in the northwestern part of the map, and for simplicity's sake, we're going to call it a plane. You can draw a plane into a hex by simply drawing in a single forward slash. In other words, a long line inside the hex pointing to the northeast. There are four hexes to be so indicated in this area. One at 12 across, 10 down. One at 12 across, 11 down. One at 13 across, 11 down and one at 11 across, 11 down. At this point in the northwestern area of the map, you can fill that whole space in with trees. That is to say, everything south of the mountains, west of the river, and north of that first line of trees that we drew. Go ahead and fill this area in with trees to show the expansive forest now. We don't have the contour of the forest exactly right, so let's add some additional detail. Draw a tree at position 8 across, 21 down, and draw another tree in every hex to the south of that. That is to say, a straight line north to south starting from 8. 21. Render your north to south line of trees now. That's looking better. Fill in a tree in every hex to the west of the line you just drew. Now we're going to need a tree at position 921 and 922. And another tree at position 10. 20. Let's also put a tree at 928, 929, and 930. 
also add a tree at 10 across, 30 down. It's really starting to look like a forest now, isn't it? And it's interesting when you consider that Solus trucked 12 miles across each and every hex. This exploration sincerely took him years and years. I find there's something very relaxing about working on a hex map like this. The way that the entire picture is little by little realized by small actions until at last you find yourself staring down into the domain of the Grumark as it truly exists. The finished map, of course, is also available to you in the accompanying Iron Realm Adventure Log and Strategy Guide. Maybe we'll find out how our maps match up. If you're especially proud of your map, why not send a copy to me at theironrealm at gmail.com. It's always good to make the acquaintance of a fellow map master. Let's flesh out our map a little more. Starting at position 2520, you'll find a tree there that you've already drawn. Go ahead and extend that line of trees to the northwest as far as you can until it hits the expanse of trees that you've already drawn in. And there are just a few empty hexes to the north of that, so go ahead and add trees to those hexes too. And at position 2420, you can drop a tree in there too. And at position 17, 17, one more forest. And now the remaining area to the west of the river can be filled in fully with swamp. Add a swamp symbol to each hex in the indicated area now. In the northeastern area, Solus did locate a ruin. A ruin can be drawn by just adding a square into a hex. Just the outline of a square, for if I were to fill it in, it would show that a city was there, or a village, or some permanent structure. But for ruins, just draw in a regular square. The ruins that Solus discovered were at position 36 across, 6 down. And that hex is surrounded on all sides by planes. So fill the six hexes around it. Other than this, every other hex in the northeastern section would be forest, that is to say, every remaining hex that's north of the line of trees that you drew earlier. Go ahead and fill them in now. At 26.13 and 26.14, add a forest. And at 27.14 and 27.15, add another forest in each. In 28.14, add a forest as well. But now mark planes at position 28, 16, and 29, 16, but then surround those two hexes 
with planes as well, going all the way around. That's eight more hexes for a total of 10 in all. Add another forest at position 31, 16, and add a forest two at each of the following positions. 38 across, 19 down, 39 across, 20 down, and 40 across, 20 down. All remaining hexes in the southeast can now be filled out with swamp. And once you have finished your map of the Grumark's domain, 00, zero has now been completed. Nicely done, Map Master. Nicely done, indeed. It is 12 noon on the 10th day of Sakars. The group is holed up in room 6 at position 2118, 2219. The three squares outside of the room and closest to the door have been coated by oil. And Kana is at the ready with a spear rigged to light the oil on fire at the first sign of trouble. The tribe of the wizard is suffering a minus three deprivation penalty for they have had no water to drink in a full three days. For the tribe is rationing their supplies and resources hard in order to allow the longest possible time for them to recover from their wounds. Accepting Brevik, the group is dressed in their armor and they have their weapons at the ready for they are fearful that the Hosani Ka, a tribe of sickly albino goblinoids, smaller, dimmer, might soon return for a vengeance. And indeed they have, though the group has not heard them coming, and the way this encounter plays out may well see the lot of them slaughtered. The life points are as follows. Amazar 2, Lulena 2, Temek 1, Thora 4, Marks 4, Master Brevik negative 3, Kana 2, Paola 2, Bardar 11. The spikes have been driven in. Under the door, the group sits in darkness. Though earlier in the day, Lelena had memorized illumination, whilst Amazar memorized no evil and door denial times two. The Hosanika desire to break into the room and consume the flesh of the humans and demi-humans that they find within. But turnabout is fair play, for the corpses of the Hosani Ka have been piled high in the southwest corner of the room, where the tribe of the wizard has begun to turn their bodies into the meat and meal that would sustain them all a little longer. In any event, when the Hosani Ka do return, they do so in their numbers. My records show that 52 have come, all of them driven on by 
They are Overlarge, leader. And they have returned with a plan, ready for revenge. The moment that the fire trap has burned down. The Hosanika are wary and have managed to come in very quietly. And through a series of unfortunate die rolls, the tribe of the wizard neither heard them coming, nor did they avoid the chance to be surprised by their ambushers in the dark. Two Hosanika footpads have slipped to the front, near to the door, bringing thieves' tools with them. Long wires, clawed hammers, picks, and crowbars, and levers. The door is spiked shut, but through their evil ways, if it is possible, they will separate the barred door from its hinges, and in this way, let in a flood of warriors to catch the humans and their friends, quite unaware, soon to meet their deaths. And even though I have stipulated that the tribe of the wizard is quite ready for an attack, the surprise roll shows that they were caught unaware, perhaps delayed, or perhaps they have been made weary by their wounds. So whatever it is, however they might have been distracted, the Hosanika get a free action before they could do anything at all. So I will rule that the Hosanika footpads could be, for purposes of this role, considered rogues of character level one, giving each a disabled traps role requiring of them a 91 or higher to succeed, and so then, two rolls I shall make. The first Hosanika, 29, a failure, and the second Hosanika, 43, another failure. Well, so much for that. I must certainly rule that all the chiseling and finagling with their chisels and picks and claw hammers is enough to allow the tribe of the wizard yet another roll. A listen check for each of the girls. A 42 for Kana, not enough. And Paola, a mere two, not nearly enough. And then, fair Lelena, 78. And this is high enough. It is Lelena, after all, who has heard them with elven ears. She tips off the rest, and it is an initiative roll. The tribe of the wizard, a one, the Hosani Ka, a three. The tribe of the wizard is working quick to get a fire lit, whilst meanwhile, the Hosani Ka footpads admit failure at the door, and their brethren, armed with axes, come to the fore and begin to chop at the door. I'm going to give each of them a 10% chance to break through. Though unlike the footpads, who had only one try, these Hosanika, armed with axes, will get as many tries as they are able. I've got two at the door, rolling the D100 for each, and looking for a high number. Will they break through? The first has a 24. The axes come chopping through the door, and the second one? A 19. What is happening is horrific to those who are within. And yet, the old door seems to be holding for a time with the spikes driven in and the rest of the group at the ready for the counterattack. 
Okay. Okay. Once Amazar casts Door Denial, making it impervious to any further assault. Whilst Thora helps Kana to light a light at the end of her spear. And this is done to be lit shortly in the coming round. Round 2 initiative, the tribe of the wizard. A 4, the Hosanna A 3. At once the fire is pushed through, just as it was before. Slipping easily under the crack in the door. But will it put the oil on light? 19! Oh, it's burning now, and it spreads quickly across the three puddles of oil that were sapped. And I rule that there are twelve Hosanika in the vicinity who are subject to its fury. Let's have some dice. Dead! Two points. Three points. Dead. Another dead. And another. Three points of damage to the next. Dead. Dead! Two points to the next, one point to another, and the twelfth one, five points. Six Hosanika are burned alive in the fire, and this will force a bravery check from them. And because they are demoralized by falling for the same trap twice, I'm applying a further negative two penalty to their bravery check. And here comes the roll. Unbelievable. The roll is up. The leader of the Hosanna is determined to see them dead. And they double in even tighter against the interior door, just as they did before. And I'm going to say that the wounded have retreated repulsed by double the number and fresh troops who have come swimming in with axes and javelins and claws. But of course, it is impossible for them to get through the door now, shot with their axes as they will. Door denial, by design, is going to hold them at bay, no matter what. Round three, the Hosanika, a two, tribe of the wizard, a two, simultaneous combat. Although as mentioned before, the Hosanika can truly do nothing in this scenario. Yet meanwhile, the fire burns on. Those closest to the door are caught. And I'm rolling the dice for them now. Twelve more Hasanika, fully half of those who were pushed forward have been burned and killed by the flames. So that's 18 down so far, dropping their total numbers to 34. And of those who retreated, screaming backwards into the hall, I'm going to say that they are actually still burning. And so I'm making a roll against each of them again for automatic damage from the fire. Dead! 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 One survivor, dead! And dead! Five more down, 29 Hosanika remain. Round four initiative, the tribe of the wizard. A five, the Hosanika. A two, the Hosanika have not had time to push further creatures towards the door. But of those who are still in the fire's radius, I'm rolling against each of them as it continues to burn them. There are 13 in all. Each of these haven't already taken damage, and here we go. Survivor, dead. 
survivor. And another. And one more. And dead. 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 Four more left. Dead. 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 And another survivor. And I believe there is yet one more. Also dead. The numbers of the Hosani Ka are down to 21. That means they're below halfway. And another great my check is indicated. If they fail this one, I'll say they're never coming back. Here comes the roll. A three? I wouldn't call it bravery. I would call it pure stupidity. You never know what the dice wish. But the way this is all played out, I don't see So if it's determined that they're going to continue to rush the door, I rule it as suicide. It will kill every last one of them. But I shall give them one more chance. An intelligence check for their leader, and if he passes it, perhaps he may change their tactic. On a d20, 14. The Hosanna they are like moths. level points for the Hosani Ka. Indeed, the tribe of the wizard could consider going out into the hallway, and perhaps they will in time, but for the moment, they deem it wiser to stay exactly where they are. So I'll give them one roll over the next two hours. It is a two, no further roaming creatures. And I will stipulate further that each has finally taken water, as well as food, even Master Brevik, who is carefully fed and watered, even in his unconsciousness. On the following day, this means that their penalty will have been erased. Yet the Hosanika would not be the last to arrive then at their door before the day is done. What is coming next for the tribe of the wizard? Tune in to the very next episode of the Iron Realm to find out more. Every one of them dangles at the precipice of death's chasm. Who shall fall in first? Shall it be one or shall it be all?